I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, a psychoanalyst based in Sweden who works with people internationally, and this is episode 225 of Rendering Unconscious Podcast. My guest today is Sostenes Lima, a licensed clinical social worker whose practice is located in Long Beach, California, Sunset Trauma Therapy. He's available for in-person consultations in Long Beach and serves all of California through teletherapy. His practice is relational and client-centered using EMDR, psychodynamic, culturally sensitive therapy, and mindfulness as primary tools. For more, visit his website, Sunset Trauma therapy.com. Rendering Unconscious is celebrating five years, so I want to take a special moment to thank all of my listeners, guests, and our Patreon community. Thank you so much. I wouldn't be here without you. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. Thank you so, so much. Your support is so greatly appreciated. You can also follow me on social media at Rawson underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore at Twitter and Instagram. And Dr. Vanessa Sinclair 23 at TikTok. You can also visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net. And for links and more information to everything discussed on this podcast, visit the main website, renderingunconscious.org. As with nearly all episodes of Rendering Unconscious podcast, there is a video of this discussion available at YouTube. Visit Trapar Films' YouTube channel, that's T-R-A-P-A-R-T Film, at YouTube or search for Rendering Unconscious Podcast. So uh, a little bit about myself. I I was born in Brazil. So I was um, born in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh, spent my first eight years there. Uh, and when I was eight, I moved to the U.S. Uh, so I, with me and my three brothers and my parents, immigrated to Miami, Florida, but South Florida in general. So we, so that's where I spent most of my childhood. So in South Florida, I- I'm from Miami too. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very cool Sorry. sink. <laughs> Sorry, I'm what from, did you I grew up in Coconut Grove. Coconut Grove. So I grew up all over South Florida, right? So we started in Kendall and then we moved to Broward and I went to like middle school and high school in Broward. Yeah, so- yeah, so I grew up all over South Florida. So lived in Little Havana for a bit as an adult. Um, so I, yeah, so I moved around a lot. I, I think um, what I've been thinking about sort of lately or the past couple of years is like, oh, I wonder if my first introduction to like psychotherapy was through like my parents, right? My parents, um, they were like ministers, like local community pastors, and they took in a lot of people <laughs> into our house, right? So I got to meet a lot of different folks with different walks of life. And my parents would kind of sit with them at the table and just like 
whatever. And just, and I was sort of like in the background, like watching TV or something. I was like, I wonder if that was my first like introduction to like therapy per se, right? That was my first um, experience around it, right? Sort of at the kitchen table, just hearing these people's stories, even if it was sort of like I was sort of in the background, just like hearing their stories and just like knowing their walks of life and whatever it might've been, someone cheated on their husband or blah, 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 or just like, or they just didn't have enough money and they were homeless, whatever the reason was that my parents took them in. There's always sort of this, um, sort of this narrative and this story that I was like really intrigued by as a child. Um, and that's something that I've lately, for some others, has been like surfacing for me. It's like, huh, I wonder if that was sort of like this part of me that's like, and now for some reason I'm able to connect dots a lot for folks in, in my office and, and be able to kind of say, oh, I wanted this and this, because like these narratives are not as new to me because I've heard them plenty of time. Um, so that's something that's sort of like in the back of my mind I've been thinking about lately a lot. Um, yeah, so that was sort of my introduction, I guess, to like sitting with people, being around people, and also hearing a lot of difficult stories, right? And 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 then growing up in South Florida, my parents for a bit moved to North Carolina, uh, and then they moved back to Florida. Uh, I for a while did not know what to do. Like, what should I do with my life? I worked in nonprofit for a bit. I always knew I wanted to be sort of like in the helping profession. Um, I, I started initially working with folks in North Carolina at a time um, with a lot of uh, the Latinx community, especially around like arts and music and some of that stuff. I did that for a bit um, until one day I, somebody sat with me. They're like, hey, I have a friend that's in Arizona and they work with indigenous, indigenous population. I think you'll do really good with them. I was like, huh? You're like, yeah, you should go. And like, so I had a job interview to work in, in Arizona in the indigenous community, right? And, and this was sort of like a, what they call like a respite homes for, for children who was having like behavior issues per se. And so I really was like intrigued by it. So I was like, yeah, this is something. So me and my wife at the time, I was like, I really want to do this. I know it's like, we're moving across the country to Arizona and to, to work with Native Americans. Um, and so that's what we sort of did. I did that for about five years, uh, four to five years. I, um, it was a huge, huge change in my life, right? I, um, got to sit, sit with a lot of these folks. So it was a, a behavior health agency and I got to meet a lot of people there. So there's a lot of therapists there, right? So my supervisor was a LCSW and she was like, you should go to graduate school. You're, we're telling you to like do something to like teach kids all this behavior and coping skills, but you're like sitting with them. You're like, and you're like, you should really try to become a therapist and this and that, right? And, and I was really intrigued, right? Because I got to meet the individuals and then I got to meet their families as well. So I started working in the respite group home with kids. And then I started working with families, right? Family who lost custody of their kids. So like doing a lot of family unification work. So like bringing them in together and kind of having them have these meetings. Um, and, and from there, 
I was really interested in just like the sort of like that family dynamics and also intergenerational stuff that was sort of happening in the room, especially in the Native American community. It was very much obvious to see, just know a little bit of their history of like, okay, this is like really just sort of like passed down. This is where like sort of the trauma kind of happened. And, and, and I got really into the concept of trauma and I started reading about trauma anywhere I can get, right? And then I decided to go to graduate school in New York City. So I went to Columbia University uh, School of Social Work. I I really enjoyed my time there, right? So Columbia was really, um, it was a lot else kind of happening. My wife at the time also had twins while I was in graduate school. So it was a lot that was happening. But I got to experience a lot of the city and introduced to a lot of different things, right? Um, earlier, you're mentioning school of thoughts and like theories and different things. Uh, I guess when I went to Columbia, they were sort of in this place of like transition, right? So I remember having one of my professors, he's an older man. Um, he's very like a psychoanalyst, right? He's like, he's been there forever. And he's like, I remember the good old days. Everyone wants to be an analyst. And this, our school is going down the drain and all of this. Because there was a lot of CBT that was moving in, right? We had a, a DBT program as well. That was part of it. Um, so I got to experience sort of all of this different like theories there, right? Um, but I feel like my... I was really, really fortunate to have a really good internship. Um, I interned at a huge community mental health center in New York with like over a hundred therapists, right? I had an amazing, amazing supervisor that I still kind of like in my mind kind of go back to her. She is this um, woman from um, Pakistan. So she's from Pakistan. She's from Pakistan. She's amazing, right? A uh, very like psychodynamic person. She always like, who are you in this room? Who are you in the room? And she's like, you and like just help me process things, right? And as a person who was like in graduate school wanting to help people, like, I want to help. I want to have interventions, interventions. And she's just telling me like, you have a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety. Like, what anxiety? What are you talking about? You want me just to sit there? And like, we used to go back and forth so much, so much. And, and like, I at times kind of go back to like, oh man, she had so much wisdom. She had so much wisdom that I was really, really just blessed and fortunate to like be around and sit with and think about, right? To think about who I was in the room, why I was feeling things and why I was so anxious in the room also, right? And that helped me become really much aware of who I was in the room, who I am in the room to this day, right? I currently live in Los Angeles. I, uh, I have my own practice, it's called Sunset Trauma Therapy. And I also work in a group practice called Epiphany Counseling, which is um, in South LA. So I get to see a lot of folks from a range of backgrounds, right? I usually work with a lot of men, um, men with history of trauma. Um, and I saw a lot of folks with history of abandonment, right? So a lot of my focus is around like attachment and, and some of that work and, and folks who have experienced abandonment and, and some rupture in their childhood. Um, so that's, I guess, all of that's an intro or a long, exhausted uh, conversation about myself per se. Well, it's a great introduction to you and different places that you've lived and experiences you've had. Um, yeah, maybe we can touch on different ones. So. Yeah. 
So you started actually doing social work after being in Colombia, but before that you were working, you said, with the indigenous populations mm -hmm. and before that mm -hmm. in the center in North Carolina. What was that work like? In North Carolina or in Arizona? Both. Oh, yeah. So, and I will say, so there were the differences. In North Carolina, I was very much sort of in this activist or advocate role, right? So, like, helping folks kind of get um, assessed to different things, that being food or different things. But also, um, we kind of built a studio, like a music studio, so to have kids come in and learn about music. I have a little bit of music background. So just to kind of help them kind of, oh, this is how you kind of record music. This is how you write music and this and this and that. So that's something that was very much hands-on in that sort of way. Um, Arizona, it, it sort of introduced me to like the behavior health world, right? Because like I started seeing diagnosis and all those different things. And it was uh, a lot of it was like, wait, what? Like this kid remind me of myself. What What's what's going on here? And, and like, I didn't get into all of this, like into this clinical world as a child, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of it, I started really trying to understand like what's happening, right? And um a lot of the kids that I started to work with and, and be with, I had a lot of experiences with them that I think I still kind of sit with me, right? From even like small experiences of like, oh, like me saying like bye to them in the evening, right? And they're like calling me dad and this and this and crying. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? I'm like, you're dad, right? And it's like, and hearing about the, their just like experiences and trauma and everything, their backgrounds, like, oh, this is like what's happening, right? And all of these things that was, and in a way, I learned a lot about the human experience in, in Arizona, right? And also like the human suffering a lot, I would say. Um, and at the same time, how folks also like are very much resilient, right? They show up every day. Um, it was very, very, uh, I would say difficult at, at times, right? Because you, you're working with kids, a lot of behavior issues or family members, right? When I was doing family unification stuff, those folks who had struggle with like um, substance use and some of that stuff, right? You're working with them and you're like, like, no, don't relapse, don't relapse. So that was like my first experiences around that, right? And, and I think for me, I got to really got to experience sort of like that social work and, and just being in the community per se. I really enjoy myself, my time and in Arizona, right? With that, with that population. And just, I remember just like really being a part of the community per se, right? So I'll be able to go into the reservations. I knew the people at the corner store. I knew different families that I would drive by. They would say hi to me, um, I will say it was something that I, to an extent, I also learned a lot about myself, right? I started to see these experiences that some of these kids were having. I was like, oh, I had that. I guess that is a, a problem or something that I had that I sort of dismissed my whole life, right? And, and sometimes like sitting with these families and seeing the pain around some of these conversations, I was like, oh, oh crap, like I also experienced that, right? And I didn't know what kind of transference was at the time and none of that stuff, right? And I was like, wait, what? Like that, did I just like dismiss my whole like childhood or these things that I really just pushed down? Um, and that's something again that we're constantly working on. I've been in therapy for, for many different times and many different years, right? So 
Um, I say that experience in Arizona really, really um, drove me to who I am today, I will say, right? I, um, it was a lot of joy, but also like a lot of suffering at the same time. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love how you trace it back to your parents and being pastors and kind of taking people in. That's like, you know, that's like, they're like the original kind of therapists, right? Listening and helping and, and how you've tied your work in with activism and kind of really being on the ground in these ways. And it sounds mm-hmm. like that's continuing in your work now. Yeah, very much. Right. Uh, I think that social justice lens was something that I, um, was sort of like thought at a very like young age. I again, I was born in Brazil and and in Rio and in a very right. I, I lived what what they call like in the favela, right? And and a lot of it was like very community based. Everything was community based, right? Every, you know everyone, and you know who is like okay, he's so and so, he's the pastor. We can go to him about anything, this and this and this, right? And like sort of that idea of community was very much something I like grew up with as a child, right? Like, oh, so-and-so doesn't have money for like food this week. How can we help her, right? And like literally like being able to knock all your neighbor's doors and that was something I would really sort of like learn as a kid, right? And 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 then for now, I really sort of like treasure some of that, I guess, social justice. I think that's one reason why I went to like social work school, right, compared to the other um, mm-hmm avenues to become therapists, right? Because I I'll sort of always have this like social justice lens um, and kind of seeing the person in the environment and, and sort of that. So I think that's one of the main reasons why I picked to go to school to social work. Yeah, I mean, from what I've been hearing, I think the social workers are on the forefront now of kind of the changing of the mental health paradigm. And it sounds like the the education in, in social work schools is like much more on the on the cutting edge and being progressive than a lot of the other kind of programs. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, that I think that's sort of always been a part of like the the social work program. Like you're always going to like what they call it, the person in the environment, right? So we always don't look at the person in the environment that kind of circulates around us. We look at the family, the community, the macro, right? So everything that's sort of happened that's impacting that individual, right? Why are they coming in a certain way today, right? I think that was, again, one of the biggest reasons why I chose the the, the program that I went to. Um, yeah, so I think I, I still see it from that lens, per se, right? I think I still sort of like, okay, this is happening for them. They, they're they stressed about this this issue and this and that, right? I I don't have a, a role where I do a lot of like case management or resourcing in that sort of way, right? So I help folks more like process what's going on so that part of them that's sort of like trying to make sense or even just cope with what's happening around them is something that I tend to work on. Absolutely. I found when I, I lived in New York for time too, for like about 10 years. And uh, I worked at the hospital in Brooklyn. And I found, you know, at a certain point, I was like, therapy isn't going to help people if they don't have stable housing. So I ended yeah. up just kind of become, taking on that kind of case management, social work <laughs> role a lot of time and just making calls and being like, this <laughs> is Dr. Sinclair to kind of try to use that to get things pushed through yeah. for them, you know, because it's like, you know, they can talk about it all day, but if they're moving house every couple of weeks, you know, they're not going to feel better. Yeah, yeah. And and a huge part uh, of 
my work and I guess a lot of therapists' work is to make folks feel safe, right? It's really hard to process things and, and, and quote unquote move forward in therapy if they don't feel safe, right? If they're not feeling safe, they're constantly having all these things happening in their lives. I remember one example, I had this class on trauma in graduate school and, and this professor always to say like, you can't treat trauma if they're in a traumatic environment, right? If they're mm-hmm. If you're trying to like process quote unquote trauma with folks that they go home and they're in a domestic violence relationship, you can't, that can't happen, right? Um, so a lot of the work is what I do, right? I am training like trauma modalities, right? Like EMDR and some of that stuff, right? But a lot of the work that I really try to work with folks is bringing in some type of safety and connection. So like that relational part of it and attachment is something that I usually am my main focus, right? And to kind of help folks, okay. And then to help them kind of process of where this stuff kind of comes from and how they're also holding this stuff, right? Why are they holding this stuff in this sort of way, right? And the reasons why they're holding this information or, right, their defenses are coming up from this and stuff. So it's, so a lot of my work is around that. Would you talk a little bit more about EMDR? We haven't had anybody on that <laughs> talked about EMDR. And I used to work, my internship in, I went to Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale yeah. for grad yeah. school. And my internship was at a brain injury clinic and they had it like mandatory uh, mm-hmm. that everybody went to EMDR. I was the only therapist there. And then everybody went to EMDR and it really seemed to help people. Um, and that's really, yeah, I've heard a lot of great things about it. Yeah, I can definitely go into EMDR. Um, some really, some EMDR therapists who are really into the theory might not like me as it because I have a more of an integrative approach. I'm not so like, I just do EMDR. Um, but I love but, integrative. I think that's the best yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, and so actually I was introduced to EMDR when I was in Arizona working with the Native American community, right? So um, so I worked with families and and I got to meet a lot of the therapists that worked with the individuals in the families, right? So it was sort of being part of that group that we kind of worked together. And a lot of the people in my age, a lot of the therapists were trained in EMDR, right? And I was like, what is this thing that you guys do? <laughs> like, well, this sounds kind of fishy. I don't believe it. And I'm always like a skeptical person in general. And uh, a lot of it, right, they were processing trauma and they tried to explain to me. So I read a lot about EMDR. Um, I, and then that was like, sort of my first introduction to it, right? So a lot of my clients, they kind of went through it. Some of them really, really loved it. Some of them were like, I don't know about it. It's kind of weird, <laughs> right? I... When I was in graduate school, I was um, so I was my my aunt, my supervisor. She very much was like against, sort of like against. Was like, what is that? Like, no, you don't do interventions and things are over, right? So she's like, no, like don't. She's like EMDR is like just like nothing, whatever. And but I also went through EMDR as a client, right? And it was very, very helpful. It was very like interesting to per se, even as like a client and kind of trying to process all of these events and kind of having all of these events kind of come up for you. Um, it was something that I, um, I, I will say it definitely gave me a lot of like insight to different things. And, and um, 
it's very much used in a way that kind of helps with like with some of the symptoms around like trauma, right? So if folks having um had a traumatic event happen to them, right? This EMDR usually really helps actually with the somatic parts of it, right? So if a person's like uh let's say if they had a car accident, right? And at an inter- intersection, right? So every time they kind of go back to the intersection, their body's like jumpy or whatever it might be, right? EMDR kind of helps them like, hey, let's focus on this image and like, and do the bilateral stimulation, right? And 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 the council notice what's happening in your body while you process it, right? So you might, your body might feel jumpy in the office and your therapist says, okay, this is what, what's happening for you. Okay, kind of focus on that, that your body's jumpy, right? And to really have this connection, okay, what's happening in your body and mind? Um, but EMDR, EMDR is more of than that. I was trained very much through like an attachment lens per se that... Um, you have to kind of create safety in the room before you're able to process any kind of trauma, right? So they, the way I was trained, right, like they say, like, hey, like if you're getting stuck, there's a reason why you're getting stuck, right? If a person is like getting like whatever, shutting down or getting mad or there's a reason why that's coming up. You can't just try to override that. Like you have to kind of process that, right? Why are they shutting down where this trauma is happening, right? And to become aware, okay, like there's something that's happening right there. We have to process that, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's the way that I was trained, right? Just not to just go and override everything. But EMDR, it is processing like a specifically like traumatic events, right? Um, so a lot of folks that do come to me with like, Right, they'll come to because because of I am um, training EMDR, so they so we have a lot of history of trauma, um, and we're able to process a lot of that. Some folks are able to have just a huge, huge experience around it, where they feel like, oh, like some of the symptoms around it is gone. I just have like nightmares, and that's gone, right? Um, I I still sort of have sort of this like psychodynamic way of like of of treating folks. So I, there's sort of always like ongoing work that's always present in the room for me. So even if there is this traumatic event that we might focus on, there's a lot of things around it, right? So to be able to process some of that, it's also sort of the work that I um, integrate, right? So a lot of it is not so much the the trauma per se, but also what happens after the, those events, right? How does your mom respond to you? How does the community, everyone around you kind of responded to you after this happened, right? Or did anyone respond at all, right? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, that's the work that that tends to sort of like, also like light me up more than the, than the traumatic event per se. It's, okay, this is sort of the things that's sort of happening around that, right? So that, and that's what really, really got me to the abandonment stuff, the feelings of abandonment, right? I'm really, I'm a person who, um, for some odd reason, enjoys, I can talk about them, right? But enjoys working with folks who have experiences of abandonment, right? And a lot of the times I was like, I never experienced abandonment. I grew up with my parents at home, right? But like I said, my parents were very much busy being like pastors, right? They were serving the whole community, right? They were sitting with folks, right? And and I didn't have to, I didn't get much of that experience from my parents, right? And it's like, well, I was like one of the four boys, right? And we, like middle child of four boys, right? So it's like a lot of the times, like my parents kind of overlooked us, right? Because they were so busy, like serving, serving, serving. Or like, hey, can you guys help us serve, right? Not very much checking in, attuning, and some of that stuff, right? And I think 
from that sort of my own background, I have such a sensitive part of me around folks who have experienced abandonment, right? Forms of rejection. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm, I really, to an extent, try to sit with folks who have that experience, right? And for them to kind of process and have a voice, right? Bring in a voice of the voice that they didn't have as a child, per se. Um, so yeah, well, we'll do the bilateral stimulation when the, the, uh, the trauma event is there, right? Like, okay, this happened, right? And and not to minimize the traumatic event, those, those are very huge, right? But I'm a heavy believer in the, in that the things around the trauma per se is as important, right? To focus on, um, yeah, so. No, that's absolutely true. And it's like, uh, like I think about a lot with like psychosis and psychotic breaks, you know, if the community, you know, held mm -hmm. the person or kind of, it wasn't mm -hmm. so stigmatized to have these things like, well, a lot of people have these experiences in their teens or early twenties. If there was a better kind of paradigm around it, then you can help mm -hmm. people kind of integrate it or make sense of it and work through it, you know, and live you know, productive lives, however you want to describe it. But instead mm -hmm. it's like, so stigmatized. It's like, as soon as something happens, then the doctors are like, this is chronic. You're going to have this the rest of your life. You know, that doesn't help anybody feel any better. You know, you're like, oh, Oh, shit you know what's going on it just makes more anxiety makes everything worse you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I worked two years at a, at a hospital <laughs> um right working with a lot of folks with severe mental illness so I can definitely um relate to that I kind of brought in this sort of different perspective to a hospital is very much focused on behaviorism, right? They're like, well, when you do this, do this, do this, I'm, like, I'm not going to do that, right? I don't even know, I don't know how I believe those treatment plans, the whole different story. <laughs> like, you have the wrong one. My supervisor, like, loved me. It's just like, I love and hate you. Like, you're like, like, you help me think about things a bit more. Um, but at the same time, I need you to write this, <laughs> these notes a certain way and, and do this thing a certain way, right? Um, but one thing that I really, with that community, right, folks who have experienced just psychosis and some of that stuff, I, I got to see, right, I mean, I started hearing a lot of their stories. That's what, again, it's what kind of brought me in. I was like, well, it's a lot of just happened to you, right? A lot of things happened and, and here you are now, right? You're, you're sort of in this place that you're experiencing all of this, this different things. And I, I really, I think I'm, I'm think of his name, uh, Harry, Harry Stacks, Sullivan. Sullivan, Harry Stacks Sullivan, right, so he's the person who kind of was like, uh, he coined the term, like, a uh, person doesn't have schizophrenia, they're not schizophrenic, they, they have schizophrenia, right, I remember I wrote a whole thing on, on, on Harry Stacks Sullivan when I was in graduate school, right, and I was really amazed by his work and everything that he did and even in that community right so I was like I gotta see the person I have to see the person right um one thing that I uh from a friend of mine when I started working there and I was having just like a lot of just like trouble in general with like the just a lot of the suffering that I was coming up against right and like man these people are very much like disassociated from a lot of their selves Right. And I'll just really just like that felt really painful for me. Right. At the time, and I remember a friend of mine who was a therapist, he was like, you have to get in touch with your own side, that own side of yours that you have. And I was like, no, I don't have a, uh, this part, of like, quote unquote, dark side of me. Right. And I think that work for me was 
a huge part of it, right? Where I was like, okay, like I have these parts of me also that's um, that I've also sort of like repressed to an extent, right? That's very much dark. And I had to tap into this part of me to be able to also serve this community, right? To serve these folks. And, and I very much after working with them for two years, it was a lot, but I very much enjoyed it, right? And to be able to help them also like understand a lot of themselves and also um, understand well, right, there's different theories around voices and this and this, and um, but also like see some connection around it, right? Like, oh, like this very much sounds like your mom, like, <laughs> right? And it's like, huh, and like, let's think about that. Let's process that, right? And one thing you also mentioned earlier, the community, right? I, I think we do a very like horrible job in the US to have a community go, um, just surround these folks, right? Um, where are you again? What country are I'm you in? I'm in Sweden. Sweden. I'm, I can't think. There's a, a Norwegian country that does a really, I, I could be mistaken here. Okay. I'll probably remember. There, there's already a country that, that um, does a really good job with folks who experience psychosis, right? Where they really uh, have sort of community-based aspect of it, right? Um, very much of like, how can we support this person, right? That we don't see the person as a threat to the community per se, right? Because a, a lot of times the treatment that we have in the U.S. is like, oh, they're a threat right, this person is a threat to the community. How can we keep the community safe, right? It's actually about keeping the community safe and not helping the individual, right? It's like, how, how can we just keep them away from the community hurt? I yeah, know, lock I, them away. Yep, and, and, and right, and one thing just to even like process, I was like, are you treating the, the person or are you treating the community? Who are you actually treating here, right? What, what's your goal here as your therapist? Are you just trying to keep them away is are you like some like weird person who's like I don't want them on the streets right or just whatever it might be um and I know it's complicated right people have had a lot of experience with folks with um, mental health issues but I know in a Norwegian country I can't think of which country it is they did a really good job of like helping some of those folks right and having um just kind of be able to have like extended psychotherapy for them and be able to help help like providing housing and some of just like basic needs. Um, um, am I? No, you're right. Here? I'm going to research more about the other Scandinavian countries, but I know for sure in Denmark, they have really good programs okay. for it because I uh, know of someone who who's using that system right now that basically has okay. kind of psychotic breaks in teens, late teens. And mm-hmm. like they, they took them out of school and put them into like a therapeutic environment, like a community yes. schooling mm-hmm. with other people that age. Cause they know if you like invest a lot, you know, early on, then they have much better chances of again, like having a productive life and, you know, getting on their feet rather than, you know, just medicating and kind of mm-hmm. locking people away. So they really try to address it like full on as, as soon as they, anything comes up like that. Yeah, no, yeah, and that's, I think, yeah, it, it could be Denmark. I, I know I read about, I when I started working at, at that hospital, I read so much of ways to kind of treat those individuals and the, like where across the world, how people treat them across the world, right? And because I really wanted to really be able to kind of sit with them and be with them, right? And I think that was sort of my, my whole goal, even when it was tough, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> 
No, I was also the person in grad school that was, I was like, I'm not going to treat adults like that. Like my supervisors are like giving me little handouts they wanted me to fill out with people and with like cartoons and thought bubbles and all this stuff. And it's like, this person's got like chronic trauma for like their entire life. They're older than me. They're like veterans and, you know, they've Mm -hmm. done so much and I'm I'm not going to give them a little handout with like cartoons on it. Like, I'm just like, that is just not right to me. Like, I'm like, I'll listen to them and I'll see what we can do. But uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I just wouldn't do it. And my supervisor was like, okay, well, you don't have to do anything. I'll tell you what I would do. She was very behavioral and CBT, I guess. I'll tell you what I would do. And then, you know, you can see if you want to do it or not. And then by the end of my like supervision with her, she's like, you have to try some of the things that I do. And I was like, I'm just not going to treat adults like that. I'm sorry. Like if I was treating kids, maybe I would give these to kids, but I'm not giving these things to adults. I'm sorry. I just wouldn't do it. (laughs) Um, What else did I want to ask you about that you mentioned? No, no, I've lost it. Oh, the the importance of being integrative. I love this as well. And like being eclectic and something that like when people come to see me, they often ask like, how do you work? And really like the answer is I see like what your needs are and desires and what you want out of treatment. And I kind of tailor what I'm doing to the needs of each person. And that can change also during the treatment. So I don't agree like with this very like pure psychoanalytic idea that like psychoanalysis has to be a certain way, like on the couch four times a week, analyst barely talks or whatever. I just feel like, you know, you have to meet people where they're at. That's not realistic for most people. You can still still work psychodynamically or psychoanalytically, but like, like, for example, if you have a skill like EMDR and you see someone has a severe trauma, like why can't you integrate that, you know, for a period? And then it's still, like you said, like, work you know relationally or looking at attachments around that or like for me like I did uh, one of my rotations was doing like relaxation training exercises with the biofeedback machines so I like really know like relaxation and it's like if someone's coming in with panic attacks and like they they haven't had that kind of training like why not give them that kind of skill early on to kind of help mitigate their symptoms while they then go into the more intense talk therapy afterwards you know I don't see them as like contradictory it's like we have all these skills and they're all different ways of treating people Mm -hmm. or helping people so like why can't you kind of pull from all these things Mm -hmm. in your tool bag you know yeah I I definitely agree with you 100% I I do integrate like some mindfulness here and there in, in my practice right even in and I, so like my EMDR therapist in New York, like one thing that he really taught me, right? So I, he used to, he was in right in Midtown, right? So his, his, his practice was right in Midtown, like on the 14th floor of like some building right in Midtown. So like, I remember just like, I used to come to him, like just like really just like a lot of energy and just like, just really sort of anxious per se, right? So I was like, I was in much, very much in the city, right? Got off the subway, sped walk, just kind of walked through the city, went up to his building, right? And he always like, hey, we're going to sit here for about a minute or two, take some breaths. We can kind of help you transition, right? I know some folks, they want to use that energy. So they walk in, let's use this energy so, as soon as you walk in. But I think there is something to like, even just kind of helping folks transition, right? You're, you're taking all this time, right? To kind of be here and this and this, let's help you transition to be here, right? So it's even like, hey, let's take a couple of breaths, right? And this is how you take a deep breath. And 
it's something I will do, right? Uh, when I'm very much using EMDR, um, I really will use, will end sessions and really try to close it in with like some a mindfulness exercise per se or grounding exercise, right? Especially because these folks are processing this very like difficult traumas. So EMDR kind of teaches, okay, let's help them close it, right? Let's help them kind of close it and settle their body. And also, you also are teaching folks, right, to process difficult things and also be able to hold and, and ground themselves, right? So process and ground. So you're teaching their body that they can do this, right? So like that tolerance, right? What they call like windows of tolerance and, and trauma therapy that you're kind of helping them do this, right? Like process very, very difficult things and then be able to ground yourself afterwards, right? And that's what you're kind of doing through sort of like that trauma um, processing, experiencing, right? That you're doing that, right? Difficult situation, then grounding, difficult and grounding, difficult and grounding and slowly grounding, right? Um, and I will use that, especially when I'm doing EMDR at the end of each session, right? Um, so I think that's what's very like helpful for, right? Helping them breathe, settle the body. Also just even getting to know what's happening in their body, right? Mm -hmm. um, I do use some, some like somatic based stuff at times to kind of help them kind of be aware of what's happening in your body. Like, oh, you feel something in your chest. Let's kind of sit with that for a bit, right? And just kind of help them sit and become aware with everything that's happening, right? Um, I think the concept of like mindfulness, um, if I had to kind of like put my sort of my own definition around it, right? It's sort of this awareness you're teaching them folks teaching folks how to become really aware of what's happening to them right it's not about actually changing or this and this it's like oh you feel something in your chest let's sit with that okay. oh you feel something in your shoulder let's notice that for a bit right and that constantly going towards the self you're constantly helping them go towards the self and noticing what's happening for them right if it's a thought if something is in their body whatever it's happening they're like okay let's notice it we don't have to change it we don't have to judge it right just kind of just notice it and and breathe and just kind of and sort of that's sort of the work that essentially that you're doing that you're kind of helping to continue to go to their self okay i can go to myself and process this right now like myself feels like safe okay and you're kind of helping them create this whole new internal dialogue per se with yourself there's no in internal internal sort of um experience with yourself right so you're like okay let's notice what's happening for you in this room right um does that make a bit of a sense absolutely I'm just increasing that awareness because people so much in our day-to-day -day lives are just like we have like tunnel vision you know we're just like focused on like going mm -hmm. to work and like getting our needs met and like just functioning mm -hmm. in the society you know and so much of ourselves is blocked out I mean that's how, that's how I see psychoanalysis too is just see helping mm -hmm. people become more aware of more of their mind because they like block so many things out we block so many things out we're going through our day-to-day -day and like all these thoughts and dreams and like memories are popping up and we just like push them aside push them aside maybe like take time every week or a few times a week yeah. and start seeing what are these thoughts what are these memories what's going on here it like so much energy it takes so much energy to keep all of that stuff out of your consciousness and if you can start allowing it and becoming more mindful and aware of like your mm. mind and your body then it just frees up so much of your mental energy you know 
And I think the goal for me around that, this is probably my own personal goal as a therapist, right? I don't usually tell clients this as much, right? I think it does build that self-compassion, right? Because you're mm-hmm. constantly going back to yourself. You're constantly seeing these parts of yourself, right? And and over time, that's what builds the self-compassion, right? And again, I work with a lot of folks with history of abandonment, right? So a lot of this work, right, to be able to kind of see yourself, right, a part of the self that they also pushed away and they sort of abandoned as well, right, to be able also to start seeing yourself and naming those things, um, creating stories around the narrative, but also what they're doing, they're constantly going towards their self and, and hopefully the goal around that for me is like that self-compassion happens, right, that they're able to have some compassion for themselves. That's huge because, uh, yeah, people don't. People are so hard on themselves. And after when people are being so mean to themselves, it's like, well, what if a friend came to you with this situation? Like, what would you tell them? And, you know, and it's like, oh, they'd be so much nicer and more supportive than they're being to themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And then I just have questions. These are kind of for me. Yeah. <laughs> One is... um. What do you think of EMDR? Does it is, is it useful with the uh, like chronic traumas? This is like if people have like a history of like having chronic traumas, or is it better like at the brain injury clinic? They they used it because if you have mm-hmm. a brain injury, there was some sort of accident. You know, something happened that, that you ended up injuring your brain. I mean, once in a while, it'd be like a heart attack or something, and people wouldn't have oxygen. But most of the time, it was like a car accident or mm-hmm. a on a bike and a car hit them. So I know it's really useful for that, but is it useful for more like chronic PTSD, that sort of thing? Yeah, uh, yeah, I I will say so, right? I think a lot of it, it's, so one thing I was thought, I guess, with EMDR, right? Of course, folks are going to process things differently, right? But if to have sort of that safety and attachment in the room really, really helps processing trauma, right? It's, I don't think you actually process any trauma without having the safety and sort of having the therapist very detached in that way. Um, so I think that's a huge part of it, right? So folks who, who have been able to sort of have a lot of benefits from, from EMDR, they have some sort of safety or, right, they what grew up in a secure attachment home, right? So that's, um, so it was easier for them to process, they process a lot quicker, right? So if there was like a random, I guess, accident they had, so they're able to process. But when there's a lot of other things happening, right? So there's what we call like, quote unquote, complex trauma, PTSD, right? So there's a lot of things and constant things happen. Um, it's a lot more work, right? It's it's a lot more things that that's there in the room and and, and I am a person, I don't think that you just can like do like one session and say like, hey, okay, we're going to find the origin of this, right? The first time that your mom did this, right? And we're going to process that, right? Like that feeling is probably helpful for a bit, right? But I think there is also a lot more work that kind of goes into that. Um, I I don't know about like physical stuff. Is that what you mean by chronic? So like something like a, a brain injury and people getting healed or? No, no, just like ongoing, like multiple traumas really. Yeah, so I think, so again, yeah. So I guess that, that whole concept around it, right? So if they had multiple ruptures in their childhood, right? So if, um, 
like abandonment issues, like folks who have parents in and out of their house, right, in and out of their home and had a lot of abandonment issues. Um, I think it's helpful, right? I think it's a way to be able to process things. Um, again, I'm a heavy believer in attachment-based work. Um, and I think that ongoing work, it's huge for folks who had experiences of complex trauma, um, just in general with um, abandonment stuff, right? I don't think a one session, not one session, but like whatever, there's this this 12 to 16 sessions um, paradigm that some folks use, right? I don't think that actually treats like complex trauma. Some people will fight me over that, <laughs> right? But I think there's reasons why we sit with folks for a significant amount of time, especially folks who have had a lot of ruptures in their childhood, right? A lot of different things that happened to them and, and a lot of it, right, that's where like the attachment part, right, you kind of become sort of their attachment in the room with them. And that sort of thing kind of plays out and you're helping them like process these difficult things, right? And and all of these things will rise through that, right? And, and the ongoing therapy around that. Um, so I think it's helpful. I think it's, it's really good around it. I think it could be a way to kind of usually settle a lot of folks also, right? So as a, as a, um, so if they had a lot of like, right, if you want to use like the term anxiety, right, because of a lot of the, like their childhood experiences, a lot of the trauma, right, so they're just a person who are very just like anxious about a lot of different things, right, so sometimes EMDR can help with that, right, so like they're slowly but little that like they're able, their anxiety kind of is able to decrease, right, so maybe like panic attacks, right, are able to, to go away over time, right, and, and then I think for me personally, then you kind of you're able to do a lot of the work, right? Not that the EMDR is not the work. <laughs> Does that make Absolutely. a bit? No, I mean, that's exactly true. And that's, I mean, that's why like psycho psychotropic medication originally was like to help the symptoms. But back mm -hmm. then, you know, when that started, most psych psychiatrists were also analysts. And the idea mm -hmm. was more that you would med give make people medications so that they can manage the symptoms so that they could then yeah. do the work, you know, and then mm -hmm. eventually they get off medications. And then at some mm -hmm. point the paradigm shifted where I was like, oh, it's just easier to just like give people meds instead of actually doing the, the mm -hmm. talk therapy, like you know? Because yeah. it's a similar thing. You have to help people. You have to help people manage their symptoms. <laughs> That's why they're coming in. Um, and, the, and the symptoms can resolve over time yeah. with talk therapy, but it's also nice to have tools to kind of manage them in the short term too, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and as a person who has been in EMDR myself, but also has seen other therapists, right? So I know like the 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 parts of it. I know what EMDR sort of helped me with, right? And 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 to be able also to like, I became a lot aware of like some of the traumas that was there, right? Because even like processing the trauma made me think about other different things that were connected. So I was like, okay, all of these things are sort of like connected to this thing, right? And 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 then I went through a psychodynamic therapy, right? So to also be able to have a voice and process and vocally be able to, to talk about these things are, I think it's huge, right? Um, EMDR, I think in part, I love it that folks don't have to like, there's not very like, it's not very language based, right? So the person's not sitting there verbally processing everything in the event, right? Um, but I think there is something also healing about giving folks a voice that didn't have a voice when they were young, right? It's not so much about telling the traumatic story, but to like have like, okay, this 
child didn't have a voice. Now what you're doing in this room, now you're bringing that voice, right? That that child never had, right? And I really believe that's sort of healing, right? I believe it's, it's healing <laughs> to an extent, right? And I had that experience, right? Just being able to tell my own narrative, right? My own experience of like, oh, that kid who was just, Middle child, right? Got overlooked a lot, this and this and this. Now he gets to speak, he gets to tell his story, he gets to talk about it, right? And and that's why sometimes I'm like, okay, if we're so focused on like interventions or this or this or grounding too much, right? You're missing this part of it, right? To be able to say, like, oh no, like let's let's hear the voice, let's hear that this this part that they didn't get to actually they, they didn't get to experience as a child, right? Um, does that make a bit of sense? Makes perfect sense. I think now I'm asking because I've done some, I've also done a lot of different therapies, and mm-hmm. but I haven't done EMDR. So now I'm like, mm, maybe I should try this too and see what it's like because I hear so much about it lately. Um, do you think people do it online? Do they, they do it remotely? Uh, yeah, so there, there's definitely different platforms that helps you um, use EMDR and Rise it was the platform that I use that will have two circles go across the screen and, and people will follow it, right? And there's also different ways to um, do EMDR, right? So there's the bilateral stimulation with the eyes, and then you can also do like the the hands as well, the, what you call the butterflies on each shoulder, or you could do it on your legs. Um, even when I did it in the office in New York, I did it on my, on my own legs. Right. So that's the way I experienced it. And right. And it for me, I feel like it worked. Right. What it what an interesting part of it. Right. Which happens in every therapy, I think um, a lot of like images and memories kind of surface that I was like, whoa, whoa, like I totally forgot about that. Right. And and so a lot of this like images and memories kind of surface for me. And some of it was like random images like, whoa, I haven't thought about that. I mean, like being a young kid and like hiding from my parents and like looking at like a pornography magazine, right? Like, it's like, oh, like I just like, that memory was like gone, right? And it's like, oh, like that. And sort of like being aware of some of those little things that you're like, oh, like I was like 10 years old. Like, I don't remember that, right? Or like the first time I like got hit by another kid in the classroom, right? In kindergarten, it's like, oh, like I totally forgot wow. about it. Right? Yeah, so some of that memory, that was like, oh, and to be able to process. So that's what that little kid felt, right? And I've sort of been doing this behavior for a really long time, right? Like this happened, I was shut down, right? Conflict happened and I was shut down, right? And to have that memory of like, oh, I did that when I was five years old, right? I was scared of this kid in my class and this and that, right? And I think that was huge for me, right? Um, To be able to process some of that stuff. one thing that happened to me a lot with EMDR, my own experience, was that grief came up for me a lot, right? So we're processing these like trauma per se, and they're like, okay, there's grief around this, right? So that person will show up in my processing, and I'm thinking I'm processing the trauma. It's like, no, you're actually all these emotions will rise, right? Of grief, like, oh, this person's not here anymore. And like, that was something that really came up for me, right? And that's something I still sort of like, um, so like process to an extent, right? It's like, oh, interesting that, like we got stuck a lot on my MDR because like grief came up, right? And they're like, oh, like you should go see a different therapist because like you have all of this other stuff. <laughs> and it's like, and I actually think it was very like, 
I mean, I think it was huge, right? Because I was like in graduate school and like I was having twins, all these things was happening. <laughs> yeah. And that like these experiences of grief that I never got to like experience, right? Which I kind of repressed it throughout the years, right? I think one of them was my grandmother, right? That that I think I lost right before graduate, oh, during graduate school. And I, and she was also huge in my life. She like helped raise me for like the first 12 years. And I was like, oh have no emotions, right? She passed away, I had no emotions. And I was like, just really hard on myself. Like, well, I don't have any emotions. This lady like helped raise me. Like I haven't been seeing her in a while because right, I'm here in the US and she moved back to Brazil. What some of that trauma therapy did, right? It actually brought up this like, oh, your grandmother's in the house. And soon as that happened to me, I started to grieve, right? And and that was huge for me, right? Um, so like some of the memories and images that also tends to happen in other forms of like um, psychotherapy, right? But I think EMDR really tends like surface some of that stuff, right? Because you also think you're coming in from one specific trauma, like, oh, this happened to me, right? Or this and this and this. And what happens is, right, you start going back and like, no, this is actually where the trauma like originated, right? This is from a very young age. This is what happens, right? And and so I think it does that pretty quickly for a lot of folks that, right, they come in like, oh, this happened to me. I was, something happened to me while I was in college and this and this and this, right? And you start working with them. And then their memories start surfacing like others, like childhood stuff, right? And you're like, oh, this childhood trauma, this is actually what you're here for, right? Um, yeah, like that was already a repetition of something earlier it was touching yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much, right? And to be able to help them process that. And I think EMDR really does a really good job of that. Um, and again, I use it and it's very helpful with a lot of folks. Um, some folks, it's a lot, right? Because it's sort of this thing like, okay, hold this image in mind. They're like, this is a lot, right? And so there's, for me, I tend to kind of slow down with, with people who are just not able to just hold that much, right? Because I think it's 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 a lot just to kind of tell people like, hold this image, think about this image, this very terrible thing that happened to you, right? And if we're going through this bilateral stimulation, right? Um, it's um, it's not exposure therapy per se, but it has some components around it that that's very similar, right? And and I think that's the the part of me that's always that I'm constantly coming up against. Sometimes like I'm not going to just kind of put people in the fire. I'm not going to throw you in the fire, right? Um, you're able, if you start, if you're beginning to talk about these things a little bit more and you're able to hold some of this and then we can probably process that trauma through EMDR. Yeah. I'm a proponent that, that that folks should be in therapy for, should be in and out of therapy for their, their whole life. People might hate me for that, right? But like, yeah, I think, trying MDR. I love that I tried EMDR and my experience around it, right? It did not fix me. Like it did not do this whole thing around me. It actually became, made me aware of a lot more things, right? And it helped a lot with some of the symptoms also, right? With like anxiety and some of that stuff. So I think it's, it's really helpful, right? I think it's also really helpful with images as well. If folks are dealing with a lot of intrusive images or thoughts or some of that stuff, it could be really helpful as well right and and to be able to process some of that stuff i also went to like more or uh, somatic based therapist yeah and to have that also was huge right and as a therapist per se right you get to kind of pull from some of, of all of these people that you work with right um 
but I would I would encourage it. I think it's it's really good, right? Um, and again, different EMDR therapists have different ways of um of kind of doing EMDR. Some people are very much by the book, right? Um, some folks have more, I guess, more of a holistic way of, of viewing it, right? I think um, Shapiro, when she kind of created it, EMDR, she had a more like open way of viewing it, right? She comes from a very more like psychodynamic background. So she had like this attachment, like attachment was very much part of it, right? Why are these things kind of happening? Why are you getting stuck, right? What's kind of happening that's kind of in the middle? You have to actually process what's happening, right? What we call like ego states, right? These different ego states kind of show up, right? And you kind of processing those things and kind of helping them kind of go into that, right? And and I think that's part of the work that's, that's, I think it's huge, right? And it's a lot that's happening, right? To be able to sit with folks, I think that'd be able to process. I think that's not so much the intervention, right? It's it's the it's the relationship. It's being with people, right? I think that's the the healing um, concept that's under most therapy, right? It's not so much the technique, the intervention, um, but people who are able to really create safety and they are relational. Absolutely. And is there anything you wanted to be sure to mention that we didn't get to? Uh, no, no. Yeah, just thank you so much uh, for having me. Um, I really enjoyed it today. Thank you. I did it as well. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Sostenes Lima. For more, visit his website, sunsettraumatherapy.com. And now the song... Soft Explosion by White Stains, available at Bandcamp. Visit highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com. Enjoy.